This message is brought to you by 12 Stone Church. Pastor Kevin Myers delivers this teaching entitled Faith Question. This is the first message in the series, Good Question. We hope this serves you well. Please enjoy. After Jesus rose from the dead, the church was launched. Missionaries were called and sent out across the world to teach the good news of Jesus Christ. One of those missionaries was the Apostle Paul. No man in previous history had traveled so far or suffered so much to bring people the truth. He could not stay still or silent while others remained ignorant. Every day he told all about Jesus and his resurrection and yet was undeterred by the lack of response. As he traveled the Eastern Mediterranean, it was in Athens, Greece, where Paul found himself facing some good questions. Paul arrived in that great city of Athens, not as a sightseer, but as a soul winner. Athens was the cultural, educational, and influential center of Greece, much like Atlanta is to Georgia. Paul saw that the city was wholly given to idolatry and it broke his heart. The city was devoted to philosophy as the Athenians spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. As Paul looked around the city, his spirit was stirred by all the marble shrines to pagan gods. He used every opportunity he had to share the gospel and it didn't take long for the philosophers to hear about the new thing he was teaching and they approached Paul and invited him to explain his views to the court of the Areopagus, which had the right to expel unacceptable philosophers. As Paul stood in front of these people, he knew what was at stake. Behind them, he saw the marble shrines that represented their misdirected spirituality. And they asked Paul, may we know what this new teaching is that you're presenting? And that was a good question. The philosophers of Athens asked Paul a really good question. Paul, can you make sense of this new teaching? And so in Acts chapter 17, verses 22 and following, we have Paul's address. And I want everyone across all the campuses of 12 Stone and online and beyond, if you have a chance, grab a Bible, turn with me. We're going to be over in Acts Chapter 17, it's on page 1111, page 1111, that's right, 1111 in your worship center Bibles. And hey, if you don't have a Bible of your own, on the way out one of the campuses today, go to guest information. We have a Bible for you, our gift to you. We want you to get in God's word. It's life changing. And while you turn to Acts chapter 17, even if it's on a mobile device, we'll begin reading verse 22 in a moment. But, but before we do, I want to I set up this teaching. You can already tell that this is a bit of a unique environment. You sent in good questions to your campus pastors, and we thought it would be a unique environment if we kind of played out this town hall idea. So we invited 12 stoners from multiple campuses to gather around, and I'm going to do quite what Paul did. I'm going to teach for about oh, 20 minutes or so, half the teaching, and then we're going to flip to a Q&A time, and campus pastors distributed questions, and, and we'll just see how this whole thing works out together. So this will be some fun, and, and you have your teaching notes, and in your teaching notes, you have a, oh, kind of a couple of thoughts that I want you to jot down. I, I want you to, to, to think about two things that you need to know when you are answering questions, when you're, when you're kind of going through Q&A. 
in life. Couple things you need to know. The, the first one, it's right there in your notes. You answer life's questions from your view of God. The first thing you need to know is you answer life's questions from your view of God. And Paul understood this. And so we're going to read, everyone. Follow along, if you will. Begin with verse 22. I'll read. You can follow. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship. And that is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. And he's not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked out their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any of us. <laughs> See, Paul knew that we all answer life's questions from our view of God. And so Paul addressed the Athenians to unpack their view of God. I was processing, preparing for the teaching of this series this weekend. So I went to a local park. And while I was at the park sitting underneath a, a, a tree, I watched a father and a son. I'm guessing the kid had to be about six years old, and dad was teaching him to ride a bike. Anybody remember when you learned to ride a two-wheel bike without training wheels? Come on, you remember it. Or how about you remember doing it with your own kids? Maybe some of you are far enough along, you remember that? Oh, my goodness. Well, well, this kid, this kid had a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle helmet with, with that, you know, kind of red bandana, so it was the authentic deal. And it had nostalgia for me because that's what Josh wore when I, when I first taught him. So that was my firstborn. And, and so I'm watching this dad, and, and he's pushing the son along. And so he gets a good push, and the, and the kid, he rode the bike all the way to the end of the parking lot. And then he stopped. He got off the bike, and he walked it all the long way back to dad. <laughs> because he hadn't yet figured out how to turn the bike without falling off. <laughs> and he couldn't get started on the bike all on his own. <laughs> so he just needed to take it back to dad. See, the kid had a, a question, and the question is, how on earth do you turn a bike without falling off? That's a good question. Now, we all know the answer by now, I hope. And the, and the answer, of course, is balance. But you don't learn balance from a book, right? You learn balance by getting on the bike. Now, I noticed that the boy had some bigger questions that had already been answered. Stay with me. See, there were bigger questions in his life, but he'd already answered one of the biggest questions in life. Like the question of, um, where do you come from? <laughs> and even though I never interacted with him, I, I, I knew he knew the answer, and you could probably figure it out too, right? But he, he kept looking back at the tall guy behind him and yelling, hey, dad, hey, what? Dad. Hey, dad. <laughs> 
In other words, he knew where he came from. That's a big question in life, knowing where you come from. Now, Tolstone, you send in a whole lot of questions for this series, and they're good questions. And we're going to answer as many of them as we have time for. And a whole lot of the questions that were asked are questions that are how-to in life. Their questions are kind of like um, riding a bike. You know, how do you turn the corner without falling down? They're really good questions. But I also want you to know that there are big questions in life, really big questions. And here's what I want you to hear. There are big questions in life, and the big questions in life frame up how you answer the how-to questions in life. In, in other words, the answers to the big questions are the framework for how you do life. Let, let me illustrate for a moment. There are four questions, just four big questions in life. I, I, I put them in your teaching notes, so if you want to jot them down and follow along. But there, there are four big questions in life. And, and listen, they're, they're kind of like the, the four corners of a puzzle. Let, let me go that way. They're, they're like the four corners of a puzzle. And you know, if you've ever done a puzzle, that the first thing you do is you get the, right, you, you turn the puzzle box, or you open up, and you get them all facing up. And then what do you look for first? The four corners. And then you look for all the flat pieces, right? And you set up the perimeter. You, 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 you kind of you put it together because this is the framework for how all the other puzzle pieces fit inside. Now, that should be obvious to you, but I, because I have to have a whiteboard, <laughs> I'm going to just take it to the whiteboard and draw it out. If that wasn't obvious, you'll just get to follow along with my, my little drawing. There's a puzzle, and you, you, you know you, you kind of go after the four corners. That wasn't a good puzzle piece drawing. Let's see if I can you just get some kind of sense. Of, that was a good one. I should get some applause. That one actually looks like a puzzle piece. Come on, give it up. That was, that's a lot of work. Well, I don't even know what, what that is. And so, so you got the four corners, and the, and the four corners after the big questions in life. The first one it answers is origins. See, origins is where did I come from? That's a big question in life. Another question is built around meaning. Why am I here? That's a second big question in life. A third you could say is kind of built around morals. Who am I or how do I live might be another way to say it. The last, the fourth corner question is around destiny. And that question would be, where am I going? And you see in life, if you have the four core or four corner questions, they become the framework for answering all the other questions and all the other things that are puzzling to us fit together on the inside of how you answer the four core questions. And so each week we're going to answer one of the corner core questions. And I'm going to spend the first bit just chatting about that. And then we're going to go into dialogue. And the campus pastors took all the questions 12 Stone gave them. And they divvied them up into four subjects. And so we're going to parallel those. So I, I'm going to address origins. And, and just like Paul did in the scripture. Because he knew, he knew that you had to settle where do you come from. And that's the forerunner to how you answer the questions in life, as puzzling as they are. And then the campus pastors grouped a whole bunch of questions 
around faith. And so we'll Q&A with some of those questions. And then week two, we're going to go after meaning. And, and we'll unpack the big question. And then we'll go after, after the questions that you asked around culture. And then week three, we're going to unpack something of the morals, the, the big question of who am I or how do I, how do I live? And we're going to talk about family. You asked a lot of questions about family and the challenges of family and broken family and navigating it and the like. And then week four, we're going to go after destiny. Where am I going? Unpack questions around next generation. Does that make sense? Even if it doesn't, would you say yes? Does that, does that make sense? Okay, now, now you don't have to do it because I told you to. Does it make sense? Yes. It does, doesn't it? In fact, as, as you think about it, you're like, oh my goodness, I, I think I get that. So let's talk a bit about this idea because... Everyone, everyone answers questions based on their view of God. How do you view God? And Paul steps right into the arena among the Athenians, among the philosophers. And he says, I see that you are religious. Oh, and he makes the point. Just because you're religious doesn't mean you know God. I mean, Paul could, could walk into our country, couldn't he? And he could say to America, America, I see that you're very spiritual. Spirituality is an acceptable dialogue. But just because you're spiritual doesn't mean you know the God who created you. And so Paul wants to begin to define, because he knows however you define God, it defines your answers. In fact, look at somebody's answers and the way they live, and you'll know what they believe about God because how you live reflects what you believe about God. See, the moment you know that there is a God and he created you and you're connected to him, it will shape all of your answers about marriage and family. It'll give direction to career and finance. It'll help you navigate ethics and the like. But the moment you decide, well, there is no God, that will equally define your answers in life. So Paul goes after this because he's got a couple of groups, a couple of philosophies sitting there among him. The Stoics and the Epicureans. Now, those aren't common philosophers among us. They are if you get in the university and you go do the study. But, I, but you have to know who these people were that he was talking to. It's not far from our experience in our culture. He's talking to the Stoics. He knows on one side of the room is a bunch of Stoics. And here's what the Stoics were pantheists. And for those of you who care, the Greek word pan means all. Theist means God, so it means all gods. So literally, what, what they would believe is, is that, that all gods are equally God. In fact, God is everywhere. They don't even believe that specifically. They just believe God is in everything, connected to everything. The divine is distributed everywhere. There's a collective divine. But unique to the Stoics, they believe that there was probably more a one-world God over all these gods. Because when you go to Athens, as you heard Paul talk, they have multiple gods, including a, 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 an idol to the unknown God. I mean, they, it would be said back in the day that if you go to Athens, you'll find more idols than people. I mean, it's just that many. But the Stoics, the Stoics, while they believed that there was a God of some sort over all this, he was indifferent. See, they believed, they believed that what led to the good life is self-mastery. I want you to get this. Self is what produces the good life. Self-mastery, self-sufficiency. See, you, you have to master yourself. 
I mean, you got to figure, you got to get so disciplined, you got to get so in control of yourself so that pleasure nor pain bother you. You're not drawn into pleasure, you're not affected by pain, you just live above it. In fact, so much so that you do that long enough and pretty soon you think you're self-sufficient, self-made. And no matter what you say about a God or pantheism, you kind of start feeling like you are God. See, when you rise above like that and self is at the center, you become self-righteous. And pretty soon there is no need for God. Sounds like a culture we've all kind of lived in, doesn't it? But on the other side, the Epicureans... The, the, the Epicureans were, were, were a group that, that maybe our culture kind of would appreciate. They were materialists. And as materialists, they recognized that there were probably multiple gods, but the multiple gods were disengaged and uninvolved. And so they really didn't matter. What matters is the good life. And the good life is the pursuit of pleasure. Their goal was to pursue pleasure, indulge, and pain indulge pleasure and avoid pain. Now, that's not a bad idea. Some of us don't even need to take notes. We're not like writing that down. We're like, got it, <laughs> got it. That one makes sense to me. In fact, in fact, they concluded that God was so distant that they didn't even believe in afterlife. It's just eat, drink, and be merry. For tomorrow you die. By now, this should start connecting, shouldn't it? Don't you start thinking like, this was in the Bible that long ago, Paul was dealing. Don't you feel like he's writing to today? Don't you feel like he's in the Areopagus? We're having the same conversation in our country. Doesn't that kind of sound like the world we live in? <laughs> Where people are, are materialists, if not scientific materialists, practical atheists, if not spiritual atheists, which is not possible, but I think functional in our culture. And we live in a world of people that say, well, you know what? I'm going to indulge pleasure. <laughs> and I'm going to take the easy way. After all, there's no afterlife. And so the Epicureans would say, indulge life. And the Stoics would say, endure life. And Paul said, you're missing life. He walks right in the middle of the room. And he says, hey, hey, hey. You're missing life. What you were created for, who created you? And the full life you could have in Jesus. You know what he's communicating? You matter to God. And listen, because they mattered to God and Paul knew this, they mattered to Paul. And so Paul wasn't insecure about Jesus. And he wasn't silent. And there's something to learn about that. That's the first thing. Got your notes still? Here's the second thing. Because when we're done with the second thing, we're going to go on to the questions. But I want you to get the second thing. And I think Paul would say, I want you to get this. The second thing you need to know about Q&A when it comes to, to life and how you answer questions in life is that there is one God and he can be known. Jot it down, fill in the blank. There is one God and he can be what, church? No. Known. There's one God and he can be known. Look back at verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it. The God who made the world. The God who made. The God who what? Made. The world and everything. And what? Everything. Paul was making a massive statement. He was going to the origin question. He was saying the first thing you need to know is where you came from. And you were made. 
He was raising their value. No confusion here. You were made. You're not from some primordial ooze. You're not an accident. You're here on purpose. And you're not the product of gods you made. All these wooden and, and these stone idols, come on, you can't really think that you came from a God that you made. See, what you need to know is that God made you. And as soon as you get this first corner question settled in your life, it begins to cascade into the life-changing answers and it's transforming. See, as soon as you know that God, as soon as you embrace the truths. In fact, Paul gave three. I, I put them in your notes. It, it, I, you don't even have to fill in the blank. This is how easy I made it for everybody at 12 Stone and on. It, it's just so easy. I, I wrote it down. I didn't do any fill in the blank. So you don't have to like, well, I'm not going to fill in that blank. Well, you don't have to. Because I wrote it out. Here's what Paul was saying. God made you. You cannot make him. You need God. He does not need you. And God's heart is to give. And he is near you. Well, you go chew on those three truths. And the moment you can wrap your head around enough to embrace them, transforms everything. See, then life makes more and more sense and it comes together. You walk away from that truth and life makes less and less sense and falls apart. You have a heavenly father. And he will help you figure out how to navigate the curves and the corners and the turns of life. If you walk with him. If not, you're going to have a hard time turning the corner in life. So Paul says, listen, your heavenly father, he is, and he is not distant. He's near, and he's knowable, and he wants you to know him. You know, before I left the park that day, <laughs> that little six-year-old boy, you know, with a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle helmet, little red bandana, he figured out how to do the turn. I watched. It was so awesome. I mean, he, he, he did a turn. The smile on his face, are you kidding me? It's like, oh. he, he raced to his dad. And he couldn't wait to get to his dad. He gets off, high fives, hugs, celebration. Man, life is good. And it is. When you have a father like that, it's good. Because God is good. And Paul has something for us to learn. That when you know how good God is and that he's the author of life, then you know people matter to God and they have to matter to us. And you're not insecure or silent because it's life-changing when they meet him. Now, that's where Paul started. That's where I'm going to stop because we have a lot of questions that came through the campus pastors among us here. So I'm going to now turn to all the questions, and this should be fun. <laughs> all of you listening at 12 Stone and across the campuses and online, you're thinking, does he know everything that's coming? No. <laughs> but who learns unless we just jump right in?
So let's do it. But we got some questions. And we're sitting in a world that has varying opinions. And you and I live in a world, don't we? We feel like we live in Athens. We got a lot of opinions. We're kind of a pole in, the, in that world. So where are the questions? I, I, I've got Jason helping. I got Travis helping on the mic. We got 12 stoners here. Uh, who has a question? I don't care who's first. Somebody just get the mic and let's go. Yeah. My name is Herb. I'm from Bethlehem campus. The question I got, you were talking about atheists earlier. Uh, the world says that, uh, that atheists and uh, environmentalists are intelligent people. They don't have to believe in a God. How do we as Christians explain to them why we believe in God? I believe that Jesus is the Son of God and his salvation comes through him and through him only and why God's word is what it is. It's accurate and it's infallible. And would you like me to do that in a minute or two? <laughs> like how many minutes do I get? Just, just... I've got until 8.30 tomorrow. <laughs> Remember, it, it took Jesus three years to answer that <laughs> with the disciples. It's a great question. Let's go after that, okay? Uh, the first part I heard of the question, you may have to remind me, so, so help me stay on track, Jason. First part of the question is we live in a world of atheists who are recognized as very intelligent, right? And wouldn't you say Paul experienced that? In fact, something's really important right here for all of us, particularly if you're, you're a part of 12 Stone or you're Christians and you're listening in and you're on that side of the equation. If you're on like the Paul side of the equation, how did Paul treat the people? Respectfully or disrespectfully? Respectfully. I couldn't hear y'all. Respectfully. This is huge. He, he didn't walk in and say, well, what a bunch of idiots. Y'all are going to hell. I can tell you that for sure. <laughs> it's going to go bad for you. Good news is I showed up. I mean, how on earth could you believe how dumb we were just talking about you guys? Uh, we're on the board over. I just said some things. Tim, he's waiting for me. You know, they're going to catch up and all. But, but I mean, can you see? Can you imagine? No, he, went, he said, listen, I, he looked at their culture. He knew that these were very intellectually capable people because God gave them the intellect. They just don't know where it came from. So he respected that they matter. He respected their intellect. There was just a lot unknown, like the unknown God. So he started where they were. So we have to start where people are. Now, I'll admit that's unique to every situation. I can't explain to someone why they're an atheist. I can only explain why I'm not. So don't take responsibility to explain to somebody why they're an atheist and then unpack it. I can only explain why I'm not. How, how, much, how much time do I have? I got to go to the whiteboard. <laughs> okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you something. I don't know if this is helpful, but uh, I'm simple, okay? So, so I'm going to give you my... Uh, th this is what I do when, I'm t when I talk to a world who's atheist and I'm not. I, I have to answer, let's see if I can kind of remember the stuff I used to do. I have to answer the question for me of existence. I, I, I want to know the truth. Let me be really blunt here. I grew up in a family who did church and our family blew up. And I realized we were around the truth and the truth didn't set us free. And therefore, if you're around the truth, but you don't embrace the truth, it doesn't matter. So I need the truth, and I need to know what the truth is. Because there were a whole bunch of lies kind of living around the truth. And so I want to know, and I need to know what is true to existence. I need to know what is true to the evidence in life. And I need to know what is true to experience in life. And what I mean by that is when I talk about existence, that's, I guess, to some degree, that's the four questions. It's got to make sense in existence. 
So if I'm talking to an atheist, I'm saying, you know what? I don't know what your conclusions are, but I'll tell you what mine are if we have time to get into the conversation. And I won't just cram this down the throat first level of conversation, but this is really where I'm going. That existence makes no sense when I see it apart from a creator. And we have that long conversation. And I said, man, I got four questions I'm always asking. And it's the four corner questions I'm talking about. And I say, and then I, evidence. The evidence of the living Christ and all the prophecy and his resurrection is so profound, it undoes me. The evidence of intelligent design undoes me. I can't get to atheism. It's, it's too far a leap. I need a shorter leap. And it needs to be true of experience. By experience, I mean, you know what? This has to make sense of life. It's got to work in making my marriage better, my family better, my life better. So when I engage that dialogue, I recognize they're intelligent people, but I'm not insecure about what I believe and why. Other follow-ups to that? Are we, is this making any sense at all? To, am I answering your question? Yeah, Okay, well, what? hey, hold it. Get that has a. to stay in. Jason, put that on the mic. Hey, I don't even know First what the grading one. scale is. First one. But I'm going to call that. Okay, Jason, anything you want to add to that? Let me, let me just say this. So let's make, let's make it real. We got okay. a neighbor, lives yep. next to us, doesn't know Jesus, doesn't believe God is real. Your first step is not to berate them with last week's teaching. Your, your first move is to meet them where they're at. Correct. Yes, but it's not even that conversation because the most impacting thing about Jesus is not said what he said, but who he was. So if you would live like Jesus, if we would live like Jesus, we would be more compelling. <laughs> if we would love like Jesus, we, if, they would, if my neighbors would come to me and say, okay, you love people differently than I do. You, you, it is, it is all over your, you guys have something I do. I, I, to some degree, I think like we ought to be a little bit better before we get into the intellectual conversation. Yep. Is that fair? That's great. Can I ask a follow up to that as well? Yes. Is that, this is not a joke. Is that possible to do on social media? I'll tell you, I would, I would not go to social media as a vehicle to convert someone because they can't catch your tone and they can't capture your heart, and arguments never brought anybody into the kingdom. The, the most powerful point of conversion is a transformed life that engages another transformed life. That's the beginning. When that transformed life can get to an answer and truth that actually answers all four questions, connects to the evidence of life and experientially true, see, most people, it has to move from the bottom up. For most people, they have to experience something powerful, which is the love of God and somebody else who's living it. And then you get into some evidence of it, and finally you say, oh my gosh, this makes all kinds of sense. Now, that's not the only way, but that's the way it tends to be experienced. So I think in a culture that's antagonistic, that doesn't even know how to have the dialogue we're having right here, because they could do this in Athens. We can't even do this in our culture. If we filled this room with half atheists and half Christ followers, man, there would be shouting down, potentially. You know what I'm saying? And that's, that, it never works, in my opinion. Now, if God calls you to be an evangelist online, social media, have at it. Just forget what I said. <laughs> Other questions? Pierre? Travis, you get to do something. Hey. I'm so proud of you. It's rare. <laughs> I'll agree. Go ahead. Hey, PK. I'm Jason Oyer from the Flowery Branch campus. Hey, and my question is, is salvation defined as the moment you make a decision for Jesus, or is it a life of following him? Uh, good question. Uh, Yes, <laughs> yes, uh, 
There, there's a theological answer that is really detailed to unpack, and I'm not going to go there right now unless you all push and, and we have to get in. I'm, I'm, I'm going to give you just a really tight core biblical answer. When you believe on Jesus and you receive him, you repent of your sins, you receive him, you, you are brought into the kingdom of God. You are spiritually transformed, made a child of God. That's what scripture teaches, and that's what occurred. Then there is a life of following Jesus because what happens is when you say yes to him, you acknowledge that he's Lord. And the nature of your question is almost like saying, um, when I acknowledge he's Lord, does he still have to be Lord or not? I'm like, well, no, he's always Lord. So it's kind of like Marsha and I got married. Uh, It'll be 35 years on, on, on August 7th. And then we've always been married, but it's always been a working relationship of fulfilling the vow that we made so that you are saved, you are being saved, and at the resurrection, you will be saved. Yeah, makes sense. Okay. Thank you. Is that clear enough? Okay, let's go on. What other questions? If that was clear, we'll just go to the next one. What do we got? Could we be all out of questions? Oh, no. 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 My exercise. Hi, I'm Sean from uh, Central Campus. Um, How do you know a loved one is in heaven, and how do you deal with or accept with if they're not? Travis. Yeah. (laughs) Just step aside for a second. Travis, I'm going (laughs) to... We know how you get to heaven. What we don't know is the heart. The part that determines whether or not someone truly goes to heaven is the condition of their heart surrendered to God. And that's God's to measure. Now, it's obvious to us in their behavior and in their pursuit of God, but only God knows the heart. So that's the first piece. Whether or not people are ultimately in heaven, do we know all that? No, because we can't read the heart. God made it clear so that the individual would know, but not so that everybody else would know. So I think I know certain people are in heaven because I know they prayed to receive Christ and I've watched their life and it makes complete sense and I trust that that is true. Equally, Jesus said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but only those that do the will of my Father in heaven. So there's clearly this walking with God thing. And then there's the weight of this, what if someone you love isn't in heaven, right? I mean, there's the, this isn't like an academic question. Um, this, is, this, is, this is like the, um, you know, I can't hardly endure that. Probably one of the most undoing moments for me uh, was in the early days of 12 Stone. I built a friendship with a guy over about two years and he was far from God and he came to faith in Jesus and, and started worshiping and growing and he was just being transformed. And his wife would never respond to any of his pleas or conversations, she was a scientist. And after about a year of that, he came to me and he sat down. He said, "Um, PK, I don't know what to do. I'm going to heaven and my wife is going to hell and I know it. And I don't think I can live that way. We wept. I I was so broken. I'm like, well, that's why we're here. I mean, this whole church exists because this is unbearable. It was unbearable for God, so he sent Jesus. It's unbearable for us. So so we pray for your wife. and, And after some time, he... Uh, this just, this has always messed with me. It's always haunted me. He said, I think I'm now going to walk away from the church and Jesus because I'd rather be in hell with my wife than in heaven without her. 
and he walked away. We never talked again. This is really weighty, but that wasn't God's answer. God's answer was, once you understand the truth, love people enough to help them get the truth. Pray them in, love them in, lead them in. This is why this church exists, because that is just unacceptable, and we are passionately committed to reaching them. So that's a great question. Thanks. What else we got? All right, I got a question. I got a, this has been bothering me for a while. Um, I sense it is. <laughs> and I sense uh, Jason has a great response. <laughs> so I struggle with this. Um, when you're forgiven, you sinned or you're in a relationship and you've done something and you're forgiven. It's supposed to relieve that guilt, uh, um, the guilt of sin, uh, everything, the pain and things of that nature. But there's consequences. Right. And those consequences seem to give you the same pain. It doesn't feel like you're actually forgiven. Right. How do you deal with that? How do you live free and deal with those consequences? It's a great question. It's complicated for all of us. So... So let me start with the difference between felt guilt and uh, guilt before a holy God. And we don't usually separate those. I got to do that fast, okay? Uh, you're guilty before God for your sin. Okay. And that separates you from God and keeps you distant. We don't think about that guilt much. That's real guilt. And that's the guilt that Jesus covered. Then we think about guilt for hurting someone we love. And when I sin against God, I hurt him. He forgives me through Jesus, but I carry a weight of a relationship scar I cast upon my father who loves me, upon Jesus who died for me. And there's a certain emotional guilt that goes with that. And that's in play too. And he'll tell me to release that. But listen, remorse matters. So it demonstrates the authenticity of my love for God when I carry a remorse that I have to release. If I carried no remorse, something's wrong in that relationship. Right, right. You with me? Okay. Yeah, I get you. Okay, so first you got to get that piece right. Mm -hmm. The freedom that he gives then is the freedom from the consequences of sin eternally, which means you never before God will carry the consequences of that sin. However, on earth, you will. So you will carry the consequences of that in society. If, if, I, if I go get drunk and, and, and I cross the lanes and I head on collision and I kill the other person and so I've, I'm going to end up in prison and, and I should and I took a life. Will God forgive me? Absolutely. Will the courts forgive me? Probably not. So, uh, so the consequences are serious and I'm going to carry them on earth. So I'm eternally freed up from the consequences, but I'm not earthly freed up. And the reason God says don't sin is because I've, I've heard people say this all the time in the church, like, well, I'm going to sin. Literally, I'm going to sin because I'm going to be forgiven anyway. I'm like, well, you're stupid. Because <laughs> listen, you're going to be free in heaven, but the destruction will be felt on earth. And that often destroys marriages and families and careers and futures and souls emotionally. The depression, the sorrow, the sense of defeat. It costs you your financial security oftentimes. I mean, we make all sorts of stupid decisions that are foolish, and the cost is weighty. And God would say, just don't sin. So they do come. Am I, did I get to your question? Yeah, it was, okay. that was right Okay, let me flip the script. How okay. do you forgive someone else? He uh, talked about forgiving yourself yeah. and getting past pain. How, when, when you know uh, you want to get past it, you want to leave it in the past, how do you offer forgiveness when it's almost unforgivable in some situations? Yeah, For, first of all, uh, when Jesus said and taught us how to pray, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors, what he was saying is what? Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who did what? Sinned against us. So Jesus was recognizing immediately when you offer that prayer, 
<laughs> You're like caught. Jesus, forgive me as I forgive everybody else. <clears throat> How about we do just the first half? Jesus, forgive me while I hold everybody wholly accountable. That's good to how they mishandled it. So, 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 so I have to practice forgiving other people, but this gets so confused, okay? Which means this, when I forgive them, and the application of that prayer, when I forgive them, what it means is this, I release them from my bitterness. I cannot release them from God's accountability. Okay, so what my dad did to our family needed to be forgiven by me because there was a bitterness that was gonna destroy my life. That does not release him from God's accountability. He's got to get his own forgiveness from God. I have to release that because scripture says that there be no bitterness, Mm -hmm. which usually leads to slander, which usually leads to, leads to, leads to. Mm -hmm. As difficult as it is for me to forgive somebody else, to that degree, I learn what it costs God to forgive me. And the longer it takes me to forgive somebody, the more I wear I am as what it costs to ask for forgiveness. And there is a maturing in that that creates a tenderness, a humility, and a sensitivity, which should be part of who we are mm. as followers of Christ. Helpful. What else? Hey, PK. Follow-up hey. question to that. My name is okay. Ren from Central Campus. Actually, I just wanted to see Travis come over here. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you just wanted to have you wanna, Travis You want a selfie? His... I'll get you a selfie if you want. <laughs> The screen's not big enough. <laughs> oh! No, no, no. Oh. <laughs> Best line of the go. night. Um. <laughs> Sorry. Um, along the lines you said about being in tune um, earlier on a follow-up question, you talk about sometimes in the teachings... Uh, this is new to me, baby faith. I'm new to 12 stone. And um, we always hear God spoke to me. Yeah. God said X, Y, and Z for yeah. me to do X, Y, and Z. Baby faith. For me, it's hear a booming voice. You know, you hear Ren do X, Y, and Z. How do you know? Yeah. How do you hear that? I oh, want to hear that. Question. It's a really, so. really legitimate and good question. Let me walk you through it. Um, and since you've said baby faith, baby steps, let me answer it that way because first of all, I want you to know this. God doesn't make you responsible for him to speak to you first. God speaks first. He spoke through creation so he'd be obvious. He spoke through the prophets so you know he's speaking. He fulfilled prophecy so you knew it would be his voice and it got separated from all the others who were just talk, talk, talk. He sent his son. He wrote it down. (laughs) This is the first way you know God speaks. We often call that the universal voice of God. Learn the universal voice of God because that's how you begin to discern the unique whispers of God in your life. And he made it clear to the prophets that he doesn't come in a booming voice and in the thunder and in the rain and he comes in whispers. The Holy Spirit has made it clear that you can grieve him. When he whispers to you, you can just dismiss him. Here's how you know it's his voice. If it's consistent with his word and it draws you to something that would be like God to do, 
Just say yes. Now, practice that. If you don't spend time in God's word and you don't spend time in prayer, you don't spend time in worship, you're not going to cultivate a sensitivity. And most people get caught up in event Christianity rather than engaged Christianity. And that at a moment of time, they want to know the voice of God. And if you don't spend time with them, you don't know his voice. The more time you spend with somebody, the more you can discern their voice when they speak. So God's already initiated. He set you up. He put you in an environment where you can grow. Practice the universal voice of God and then pay attention as you spend time with them and you'll get the unique voice of God. And if you need to hear something and you're not listening, he will speak to you. And if you know you've dismissed him, then you gotta go back and own that and honor that, I think, to keep hearing his voice. So, great question. Yes. Thanks. Hey, everybody, these are great questions. And I know that we have more questions than that and we'll be answering questions, but just like uh, among the Athenians, (laughs) there was a moment when they stopped And they said, Paul, you got to come back. We got to do more of this. And so we'll come back and do more of this next week. But I'm going to turn it to the campus pastors. And we want to take a moment and pray over you. And this isn't just academic. This is asking God, God, what do I need to walk away with? What do I need to learn? What's the thing that if I knew that was true, I would live different? So right here at Central, let's bow our heads. As you learned today, this isn't just Bible trivia. This is some weighty stuff. So Father, thank you for who you are. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the fact that you're a God who who can be known. You invite us into relationship with you, God. This isn't just some religious thing we do. You, You wanna invite us into a relationship with you. And so God, in this series, I pray for moments where we know who you are better that you grow up our understanding of who you are, you grow up our understanding of of how you call us to live, and that, God, that you would teach us, maybe like Ren, we just admit, God, we're, we're, we're baby Christians, we're new at this, and God, I, I, I wanna hear from you. And so, God, would you take this series, would you use this series to teach us, to grow us up, And God, as we ask all kinds of good questions, I pray that you would give us good answers and that you would use those answers to change how we live and change how we see you and change how we parent and change how we live, God. So we're grateful for you. There's no one like you, God. In your heavenly name, amen. Amen.